We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast for Thursday, October 24th, 2019. The Rotowire NFL podcast, of course, brought to you by Yahoo and Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. The NFL season is in full swing at Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. There's a million reasons to enter the free Yahoo Cup on Daily Fantasy, and they're all dollars. That's right. Yahoo Cup is free to enter, and a perfect lineup will win you $1 million every week of the football season. It's as easy as entering the contest and picking your players. If you're over 18 and a United States citizen, there's no reason why you shouldn't take your shot. Yahoo Daily Fantasy Football has new contests every week with guaranteed cash prizes. Even if you don't score a perfect lineup, you can still walk away from a game with a little cash. Choose Yahoo Daily Fantasy today. Get started now at yahoo.com slash daily fantasy. Mario, what is going on, my man? Uh, nothing. have to pay attention to this upcoming horrible game today where the the washington team will go to be just sacrificed like a viking funeral 
Yeah, it's it's going to be bad, and uh, I don't want to watch it, but I'll have to a little bit. Or I'll, I'll at least have to lie and say that I did, so that on the radio tomorrow I can but, be like, yeah, I watched it. Because that Thursday not, game though. does carry our Friday show a good bit, so it, yeah, I've got to be taking notes. I might just Stevens. make it up. I might lie. Uh, we'll see. Maybe the ratings will be low enough tonight to where like no one can like say say with any certainty that you're lying about what you said you saw. The tree in the woods thing, mm-hmm. but like a big game for Stefan Diggs. <laughs> I th- that's like about it. I got a question from uh, from one of our buddies here at Rotowire earlier about starting either Diggs or Odell this week, and I was like, Odell against the Patriots right now. It just sure, feels like actually. a buzzsaw. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a uh, that's one of those that you would think in the preseason, like, oh, this is pretty dumb. But actually, I think it's you know weird circumstances have played a role. I didn't foresee this whole deal that we have here, but uh, we, knowing what we do, yeah, Stefan Diggs by a mile, actually. Exactly. So that, that's kind of where my head was at. Um, but we're going to zip past that Thursday night game. We're going to get into Sunday's slate here. I want to start things off with the Lions going up against the Giants. Lions obviously have a backfield that has gotten a lot of interest this this week with Carrion Johnson being put on injured reserve. Uh, so now Ty Johnson is someone that a lot of people have emptied their the rest of their fab clips um, into acquiring. J.D. McKissick has also been a trendy pickup in PPR formats. What can we expect from those two uh, this week going up against the Giants and then moving forward? Well, I think the situation might be a little more fluid than some of the coverage of this this backfield might have led people to believe because yeah you're hearing about ty johnson a lot you're hearing big fab numbers for him and then not so much for mckissick even though i don't know if there's a reason to put one ahead of the other right now i mean ty johnson he was drafted by the team whereas mckissick was just a training camp uh, final cut pickup that's true but jd mckissick is also you know a developed third down kind of back former receiver so he's he's definitely a good pass catcher uh, Ty Johnson's done a pretty good job pass catching so far, but he's not as much of a natural probably as McKissick. Yeah, so. he had twenty targets or nineteen targets his last two seasons at Maryland. So it's yeah, it's not something that we can say definitively that he can't do, but you, we can probably assume that at this stage, McKissick more polished pass catcher. Right. Ty has caught eight of his nine targets, but it's only thirty-five yards to show for it. So those might not have been high-quality targets. They're, the the targets that Ty Johnson gets won't be in as good of a position as McKissick because McKissick can actually run routes things like that so uh Ty's interesting he was very explosive at Maryland definitely fast but he only has 83 yards on 23 carries so far and JD McKissick might be as good or better of a pure runner so um Ty Johnson played 40 plus snaps last week it wouldn't it didn't seem particularly close the rotation between them last week but I think this is the kind of thing that might even out with a week of practice uh you know getting McKissick ready for a bigger role okay so going into this week what what do you think that we can expect going up against the Giants I I think that Johnson probably holds down the standard downs at least for this week the first and second down I think that McKissick immediately becomes that third down guy um, for the Lions and if Johnson starts to flounder I know that you know like we mentioned the Lions did draft Johnson but at the same time if he's not getting it done then they're going to run McKissick on first and second down too yeah, I think they'll, like you said, start out giving Ty Johnson the initial looks, but I think it'll be a quick rotation. I don't think either guy is going to spend that long on the field at any particular time. So whoever starts, it might just be kind of like a ceremonial distinction that's left to you know whoever develops the hot hand in the game. So that could be Johnson, could be McKissick. I don't really have a strong feeling on which, but the matchup is fine. Uh, 
should be an opportunity for them to you know produce efficiently with whatever workload they get okay and then looking elsewhere um, in this Lions offense obviously we've seen the Giants um, kind of struggle on the defensive side of the ball for the, for the most part this season that they showed like a little bit of backbone against the Patriots until the until they didn't um, but obviously right. la- last week um, kind of more of a regression to what we expect from this Giants defense at this stage um, so I give the Lions the edge here as far as the offense is concerned um, is there anyone I mean obviously with Marvin Jones going off last week do we expect maybe Kenny Galladay to get a little bit more in, involved this time around yeah they're both good receivers and you know one could vastly outproduced the other for no particular reason such as jones versus galladay last week that was wild yeah and uh, i feel like marvin jones did this to us a few years ago like or more like five i guess when he was on the Bengals. yeah just completely like knocking uh, aj green's production out i just feel like there was actually a game where he had like three or four, i feel like there was a, a day where he had 40 plus fantasy points or something and everyone was like wow marvin jones is good and then you know four years later Going He's into bad. this year, going into this year, you could get him in like the ninth and tenth rounds of some drafts. I know that the knee injury played some role in it, but generally people were like, I, I think they just kind of forgot that he's good. And um, sometimes when you have a good player like that, and they're fighting over him and Galladay are fighting over you know a modest sized pie. Sometimes one guy loses for no particular reason, but that doesn't mean like Galladay was bad or anything, or that uh you know that he he can't do a similar thing coming up but generally when that Giants defense last week just like could not stop the run against Arizona so it'll be interesting to see if the if the uh, Lions try to get some similar uh, concepts in play there because you got a similar kind of back with Ty Johnson JD McKissick as you do with uh, Chase Edmonds who obviously had the big game Ooh, okay so that that is a good call on that on that Giants run defense a reason for optimism for you know if you did scoop Johnson or McKissick they, they should be useful right away here um, on the Giants side what are we looking for uh yeah you'd like to see Daniel Jones stabilize a little bit he's pretty much been a mess since the uh, second quarter of the Washington game, which was following his first start against the Buccaneers. I stacked Giants last week, so I'm like a little bit mad right now. Yeah, I did too. I had a big, um, I, I put in like uh, four or five because it was the $10 buy instead of the 20 on uh, DraftKings for the Millionaire Maker. So I did twice as much as I usually do. I think I ended up with eight or something like that. And I think four or five of them I had Daniel Jones. I was very skeptical of him as a draft pick. I basically thought it was trash, totally indefensible selection. But I thought this setting against the Cardinals where, you know, even with Patrick Peterson back, they still can't defend the middle of the field or at least in every game so far prior to that, they couldn't do it. And Golden Tate got going a little bit, but Evan Ingram being basically a goose egg in that setting is pretty concerning because this is this is supposed to be one of the settings where you're not supposed to have to worry about Daniel Jones. Like if the middle of the field, the underneath is supposed to work well, then he's supposed to be okay and, you know, keep the offense afloat. But he basically failed in an ideal setting for his ideal, you know, skill set application and still was a total dud. So that's kind of concerning because he won't see better situations for his skill set than last week. Do you think there's like a a reflexive thought when it comes to the Giants for this week and you know maybe a little bit of doubling down after getting burned last week against the Cardinals where he can point to this Lions defense point to the fact that they got kind of lit up by Kirk Cousins at home and say hey maybe I wasn't completely wrong about the Giants I just was off for that week and maybe this is the week that they'll, they'll get something going well, Kirk Cousins had a big game because the Lions just were not rushing the passer at all like he he had 
basically as much time as he wanted on most pass plays. And Daniel Jones, if you leave him enough time, just like if you leave pretty much any quarterback enough time, like he can make a good play eventually. But I just don't see what would be so good about this setting for him. Like even if he has all day, like Kirk Cousins, um, he's going to have to throw against a defense where Justin Coleman might I, I, Justin Coleman got beat by Stefan Diggs but that's just because you know Diggs can beat anybody pretty much uh, but Justin Coleman's probably going to be a problem for Golden Tate in this matchup maybe Evan Ingram can pick up all the slack but it's like Sterling Shepard's out Darius Slay's probably shutting down uh, Darius Slayton so zing yeah there's a lot of ways that you can imagine Jones kind of just running into obstacles and I I don't know how we can be optimistic after last week. Okay. So looking at the at this line, wrapping things up for this game, Lions, seven-point favorites. I think, mm. you know, if we were talking like a month ago, we would have said, you know, Lions for sure can cover this. Lions are, are that sneaky good team. They've kind of shown their cards a little bit. They're, they're a feisty team. They're going to be competitive in every game, I feel like. But I still think that they're a cut below the wild anything more than like the wild card chase. Yeah, I agree with that, and I was trying to think. Seven points feels like a lot, but I guess you end I can up see the pushing. Honestly, yeah, that's yeah, definitely in play. And I guess I'm I'll err toward optimism, just because it's like if if a quarterback is turning the ball over, like Daniel Jones has shown the propensity to, then I guess that's how you end up with more than one touchdown in your margin of victory. So uh, I'll say it's I'll say it's a. Uh, I don't know. In that case, I guess I would probably assume the under, which I guess I do like. Yeah, 49 and a half. That's a lot. Over under. I don't expect the Giants to really, I don't know, go past 17 points in this one. I don't either. So so that, that definitely looks like an under that's in play for this week. Let's shift our gears over to the London game. We got the Rams, 13 and a half point favorites going up against the Bengals. The Rams used their Atlanta game as their get right game as, as we anticipated uh, and Atlanta nicely obliged uh, yeah. as, as they are wont to do in the year 2019 can't believe that dan quinn still employed uh by the falcons but here we are so yeah that's pretty amazing <laughs> like, what is i can't exactly tell unless that's just a policy of no in-season firings it's, there's nothing else that would make any sort of like, sense like are they instead sitting there thinking well maybe he can fix this actually maybe maybe there's still hope uh, maybe matt schaub can fix it all uh i don't know what the process of thinking there is but yeah dan quinn wow he he has left no part of this dumpster unlit like it is there's it's completely engulfed yeah we've we've burned it down to every last you know bottle of lysol and everything else that's in the dumpster yeah so it's it's bad and toxic uh i don't know how much this week you know the Bengals, they're their own version of uh you know just utterly terrifying how bad they are how how just meaningless they are as a team like the offense each game you see the box score at the end and there's like oh there's a few numbers those uh, alex erickson that's interesting but if you're following the games like as they're occurring the theme is just an overwhelming sense of just dread and pointlessness because it's it's uh there's just nothing competitively meaningful about any of those numbers they get it's just trash and and like a waste of time and uh i don't know if tyler boyd can get going the targets seem like they'll stay there uh and i don't think alex erickson is a is a receiver worth chasing so i think boyd will bounce back eventually but that's just kind of one of those leaps of faith i guess like they've been bad enough that it's plenty reasonable to worry about him and of course joe mixon being a dud like almost close to a zero the past couple weeks is 
almost impressive the scale of failure that it takes to get that outcome like yeah i saw, I saw a tweet earlier uh for a guy that has mix and looking to trade him for fab at this point sure yeah uh i i really don't know like i can't i can't sign off just uh you know I can't sign off generally on Joe Mixon as even a starting option. Like, I don't know if I would give him an over-under higher than five points in any given game. It's just insane how bad it's gotten. But this is another rough setting for that stupid team because their their offensive line is just going to be a problem. The Rams have a bit of a pass rush going between, you know, Donald, you expect to always be there, but Dante Fowler is having a big year. So, I don't know. I just... I can imagine the the Rams pass rush getting to Dalton because pretty much every pass rush does, and he's generally shown an ability to go three and a half quarters of doing nothing uh, most games, and I basically expect the same here. Okay, and then looking on the Rams uh, side of things, obviously Cup has been pretty automatic. Gurley got things back going a little bit last week, and, and Goff, uh, you know, kind of the the poster boy of of the get right game going up against the Falcons last week. So again, another easy matchup for Goff. This should set up well for this Rams offense. Now, yeah, Goff still wasn't that great last week. I'm actually kind of concerned about how he only completed 22 of 37 passes. Like he had the big fantasy day in part because of rushing for his third touchdown but i still don't think he's any good and i don't know how much they can cover it up you know like it was against the falcons in the dome last week and he still lurched toward uh you know a 50 percent completion percentage with desmond trufant out of the lineup too moreover so I'm not getting my hopes up for golf but i do think that the rams will basically control the script of this game which bodes well for Gurley. And I think Darrell Henderson probably, uh, I think he yields like a flex utility this week. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that's good to know among those. Brown's you know, out, by the way. Ma- uh, Malcolm uh, Brown is out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he should be seeing uh, snaps again. Uh, Gerald Everett, I think, has kind of established himself as, as a you know starter starter tight end, even in yeah. one tight end leagues uh, here moving forward. And, of course, uh, going up against the Bengals. Um, any reservation about Woods or Cooks? Because Cup is obviously automatic, but... No, it's just kind of an awkward point with this offense where we know all four of those pass catchers have good matchups in most cases and on for their part should be able to win their matchups, but the pie just isn't very big with Goff in charge of the offense and so somebody's always going to get pinched usually two or three guys are going to get pinched and there's just no way of knowing which ones and the the game script like you're saying for this week probably favors the rams not airing it out once again so that pie that smallish pie gets even smaller for this week Um, let's move on over to uh, saints cardinals a lot of interesting storylines in this one saints at home ten and a half point favorites looks like drew Brees is going to be back okay so they're they're pretty sure he's playing then Uh, i saw that he was in practice and stuff that's it's uh it's one of those things i almost have to wonder if he felt some urgency to come back just because teddy bridgewater was uh just as good as him uh, oh, before you can't say that well not, <laughs> not in terms of like you know not in terms of uh their broader career certainly but it's like i think 2019 with, bridgewater right with yeah. without bridgewater's played i think it's a fair question to ask like is teddy bridgewater in 2019 better than a 40 year old or whatever drew Brees, whatever he is because basically since the second half of last year breeze has not been that good and uh, for years now he's had the whole you know downward trajectory of his road splits and i think it's just like you know that was the first sign of age the second sign of age is it's going to affect his home splits and Teddy Bridgewater has done a really good job in some pretty tough settings. 
So uh, with that said, this is a really easy matchup against the Cardinals. I think uh, I, I, I would imagine the Cardinals will try to shadow Michael Thomas when he's outside with Patrick Peterson, but the, the Saints could just move him into the slot. And I don't think Peterson would follow him in that case. And then he's just running against guys who, you know, he can easily beat and he could probably beat Peterson too, for all we know. So it uh, looks like another big game for him. I think you can like Latavius Murray as a flex play, even if Kamara plays, just because first game, if it's if Kamara is back in his first game back, I would expect him to probably cap at like 35 snaps, whereas he's more so accustomed to playing like 45, 50 plus. So uh, with this team, go, with you know the Cardinals being the opponent, they have a way of letting the play count run up in a game. So if you start pushing 70 snaps as an offense, your backup running back is going to play. Uh, and if the starter is coming back from injury i think you can especially expect that backup to get in a, a healthy workload no reservations on starting Kamara this week though if he's active right oh god no if he's active you got to start him i just i just mean like i don't think Kamara needs to be out for murray to have another useful week not like last week but you know double digit fantasy points yeah i mean hopefully. if he's out there for you know like, like you're saying upwards of 25 30 of those saints uh, backfield snaps Arizona pretty amenable to opposing running back, so that should pay off for him. On the Cardinals side, uh, can you make sense of this backfield? Um, because I know that a lot of people, myself included, were, were a little bit uh, cheesed off by uh, the way things went with David Johnson and Chase Evans last week. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea because we, we've we got kind of uh, – we were kind of misdirected in the sense that they were that the Cardinals basically said like yeah David Johnson's he's in today he's starting and he did start the game and he got the ball pretty early and then he just didn't after that and Cliff Kingsbury said after the game you know oh we we, we just had him here for emergency purposes it's like well then you forgot and you meant to not leave him on the field for the first play right because that or did you think it was already an emergency? And why did you think from like the third snap onward that it was no longer an emergency? Like what ex- what exactly uh, are you doing? And I guess he was probably just you know trying to get the Giants to game plan for Johnson and just have him not be out there and hopefully you know pull a fast one on them. I don't know if that had anything to do with why Edmonds did. You, you got to wonder if uh, coaches around the league will not take too kindly for that that level of stupid gamesmanship yeah i don't know i just uh on the other hand like on thursday kingsbury did say if there were a game today he could he wouldn't be able to play so i don't know it's like he was lying to us but he also kind of like warned us ahead of time that he was about to lie and uh gonna lie yeah we don't know i mean you gotta you gotta go with one you can we have no way of knowing which one was correct but it's like he said he gave both answers before sunday and uh, he was only honest about one of them. So uh, it's, it's kind of annoying. And uh, you know, like, what the hell are we going to do? There's nothing we can do. Uh, nuts to you, Cliff. Yeah, Cliff. Uh, I'm glad you got fired from Texas A&M, dude. Or uh, Texas Tech, dude. Yeah, man. That was, uh, that was like hind. I don't know how time space works, but I think that was like preemptive karma for what you did against uh, the Giants there there it is okay we figured it out we we found the rift and we exploited it um anything else to, to go over in this game before we move on no i think uh i don't know whatever i think uh as much as kyler murray had really bad numbers last week i will say i thought the offense generally looked encouraging i think they kind of sold out their own passing game to get that uh horizontal heavy misdirection running game going and you could tell the giants just had nothing for it they completely were blindsided by that so, so do, I, 
do you think that's an exploitation of a slow linebacking core in New York that maybe isn't the same issue in in uh, New Orleans? Yeah, I don't even know. I I just noticed uh, it looked like an almost different Arizona offense to me. Like the way they were utilizing the running game, the kind of motion they were implementing looked different to me and they were attacking it almost obsessively like they knew going in like we're going to do this and they aren't going to have an answer for it because they they just kept going back to it like we never saw them commit to the run in any other games like they did with Edmonds so um, I know that Murray didn't have any good numbers but if you watch that game he was kind of fitting into the motion scheme in such a way that he was playing a role in the running game's effectiveness and so you know that's useless to us we need him to be the ball carrier for for us to care but um i think basically if they had needed to throw the ball they might have brought out different looks that would have afforded murray better throwing opportunities because um he didn't seem overwhelmed or like out of control even though if you looked at the box score you would think like oh, oh my god he was total garbage in this game but i don't i don't think that was quite the case okay yeah i think that that's a good explainer um i think in the leagues where i have him i'm probably not starting him this week against new orleans though yeah i'm not eager to call him in any particular game because all year whenever i thought he was going to have one of his better games he didn't or something about it didn't happen the way i expected so i think he's just going to be a volatile player and uh, ideally, you know, you would rather have him in best ball than in season long because we're just not going to foresee most of his outcomes, probably. Exactly, exactly. Um, let's move on to the Titans facing off against the Bucks. Titans coming off a, a game that was just as weird as anyone could have imagined between them and the Chargers, and then the Bucks obviously coming off the bye. Titans at home, two and a half point favorites. Yeah, every game is a ref show now. Like even though this one, uh, the, or sorry, the Titans and the Chargers one wasn't especially bad ref show last week. Uh, it's like every game is a ref show, and all all the ref shows of 2019 are worse than the worst ref shows of you know 10 years ago. And uh, yeah, that was that was one stupid game. Uh, maybe we can get another one. Maybe we can get a, a really dumb ending versus uh, the Buccaneers. Two dumb teams. Uh, uh, pursuing a, a, a dumb victory i'm in favor of it but uh yeah Tannehill looked better than Mariota last week i thought it remains to be seen whether that was because he's actually better or because maybe the chargers just aren't very good on defense like their defense was struggling this year and they were without all of i think melvin ingram uh brandon mebane and justin jones so basically just bosa on the defensive line was out there and you know it's it's a uh, He's got two good receiver, two athletic receivers in Corey Davis and AJ Brown. So uh, whatever the case, whatever the explanation of last week, it should be easier against the Buccaneers than it was against the Chargers. So I'm kind of optimistic for a second good game in a row from Tannehill. Uh, it would help for Jameis Winston to not be terrible, though, because the Titans, of course, will sit on the ball and just run out the clock if they have the option. So you kind of need the other team to push the issue. Yeah, and if Winston, you know, I don't expect, I don't expect five interceptions again but if he's turnover prone once again yeah it's not completely out of the question here folks so um if winston does turn the ball over and those those issues continue that again leads to more clock bleeding from that from this tennessee offense yeah i am still pretty optimistic for Tannehill and thus davis uh brown and i guess even stupid adam humphreys that's only just because delaney walker's hurt though i i refuse to give adam humphreys any credit um but not full credit yeah he's got the revenge game narrative maybe it happens who knows dumber things have have certainly happened including adam humphrey starting over chris godwin the past two years in tampa bay uh but that's (laughs) nothing that's not here nor there 
Uh, I you think at least you can't l- lump that on to Bruce, Bruce Arians, though. You know, at least there's right. Uh, Bruce I'm sure he's indirectly at fault, though. I'm sure he did. <laughs> he's he's to blame for that and other things, probably if you dig deep enough. Uh, but part of the reason I like the passing game for the Titans to get going is, is I'm not sure they'll have a choice because the Tampa Bay run defense seems pretty good. So if Derrick Henry can't get going, eventually they'll have to throw the ball. But best case scenario, it's like they start throwing the ball in the second quarter because they never look to do it initially. Okay. All right. So that, that's a good way um, of, of looking at it when it comes to uh, this Titans approach on offense. And, you know, they, they do want to see what they have in Ryan Tannehill at the very least um, on the Titan or I'm sorry, on the Buccaneer side of this. Can Mike Evans please like have a big game again? It was pretty cool when he did it earlier in the year. I'd, I'd like to have another one. I think it sets up fine. I mean, I'm definitely a big Chris Godwin fan, and yet even I, uh, you know, someone who is probably as high as anyone, you know, going into the year with him, I still look at his numbers and I'm like, oh yeah, he's going to regress. He's going to. I was expecting something like a 1300 yard season for Godwin, and right now he's on pace for you know stupid numbers like 1700 and 18 touchdowns. I never for a second thought that would have been in play this year. So I think he's going to regress and uh, these things have a way of working themselves out. It's like we don't even really need to guess how it'll happen, especially it's just things have a way of, of, you know, correcting the averages over time and Evans is due and there's nothing in the matchup that says he should be stopped here. So as long as Winston just gives him targets uh and you know generally evans gets his targets maybe it takes a while maybe they happen in bunches but if if not uh anything else then he's he's due for a bunch of targets here okay or sorry not not so much after last uh 17 targets obviously corrected but uh he's more i think going to settle in at 10 you know eight targets than the three that he had two weeks ago yeah i I think so too i I don't know what was going on in that one or, or the the new orleans game where he was shut out i think um pj williams funnel i don't know yeah buddy um all right so let's uh let's scoot on over to this bills eagles game um bills two-point home favorites against an eagles team that oh buddy i'm, I'm starting to lose hell, the faith man, man. I'm starting to lose the faith yeah if you can screw For 2019 up like- i'm starting to lose the faith i think in general the core of, of wentz and peterson is, is good to find but yeah i don't know what's year, going on man. with peterson like I have to give some of the blame to him just because he's in charge. But sometimes those things like that Goddard fumble and then uh, what was the other one that had like there was another fumble early in that game and Dallas was just up 14 nothing in like five minutes. Right. Like if you, if you have a 14 point handicap at the start of a game, you're basically owing a thousand whatever whatever sample that would end up at. It's like you just always lose if you have a 14 point handicap. And uh, yeah, they. I don't know, man. They they fell apart in a way that just kind of I don't think you'd really do that unless you're kind of mentally weak or at least not focused on that game, which is like how do you not get focused for a game like that? I don't it, know. Both those teams needed it. And for and to get dunked on by Jason Garrett like that, even though, like you said, there a couple of just un you know, non coaching factors played an immediate role in that game still. We we end up with with Jason Garrett laughing on the sidelines at you, and that you never want that. Yeah, you don't want to end up there. And uh, in any case, I don't I don't feel I feel like it would be strange if the Eagles just kind of you know withered away from here. So I feel like it's in their nature to come back in a game like this and win it. But it's a tough matchup, and the Bills 
uh, like most teams match up just fine against the Eagles uh, defense because you generally just concede the running game and the Bills haven't gotten a ton of contributions on the ground. I mean, Gore is okay, Singletary's okay, whatever. But if they have a good game, it's usually because Allen had a good game, which is to say John Brown and Cole Beasley both have good matchups in this one. I think you have to like John Brown a lot just because uh, he can get open against those kinds of corners on Philadelphia's defense and they should struggle to run the ball. So the the funnel should be in play and the matchup is great. So uh, if Josh Allen has a big game, it's harder to see specifically in that scenario how the Eagles win it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I think I think Allen basically isn't any good, but the matchup is is very favorable here. He has he has all the tools that he needs to take care of this game as long as he doesn't you know just screw up wildly. So when Philadelphia has the ball, I've noticed. You know, I think coming into this year, everyone rated this Philadelphia offensive line as one of the best, if not the best, in yeah. the league. Hasn't really. I mean, I'm not an O line play expert, but hasn't really looked great. I feel like Wentz has been. Maybe that's because Wentz holds onto the ball a lot, tries to make too much out of nothing type of thing. But either way, it's resulting in Wentz getting knocked around a lot, and that obviously tanks the offense. Yeah, I don't know how much the Jason Peters injury troubles might explain it. I noticed that Dillard was having trouble with Robert Quinn in that game, which, by the way, Robert Quinn yeah. being awesome what a in 2019 boss. is really strange. He, he looks insanely fast. And it's like, where the where were you for the past five years? Uh, like the Cowboys. He like, went Kerouac on everyone. Yeah, the Cowboys trading like a fifth round pick for him or whatever. Like that's the classic uh, stupid Dallas band-aid move and like i thought for sure like oh that's a stupid waste of time dallas you're so dumb jerry jones and then robert quinn actually looks like you know vintage robert quinn and uh yeah maybe dillard uh you know maybe there's not much he can do there or maybe he'll get better but this is not a setting where you expect a struggling offense to all of a sudden find its rhythm so i don't know we'll we'll see but uh i I can imagine when's having a rough game here and I, it's just a lot easier of a task for Allen on the other side. Yeah, I think so too. So this sets up really well for the Bills. And, you know, that I think if Philadelphia loses this game, then I think we can officially knock them out of the playoff race pretty much. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I feel like it's fair to say they won't fail in a setting like this. Like, you know, it's it's just too important of a game. But again, I, I would have thought that would have applied last week and it didn't. Exactly. In a divisional matchup, on the road in in prime time and they still just totally didn't show up uh, before we get on to our next game we got a message from our friends over at world fantasy sports are you already knocked out of your survivor pool do you end up losing early in the season feeling like your success is mostly based on luck wish there is some alternative where you can use your actual fantasy sports knowledge as opposed to relying on whether a team wins or loses well now there is world fantasy pools brings you the first of its kind game type stat based survivor pools world fantasy pools takes the traditional concept of survivor pools that players are familiar with and adds in a more exciting twist Instead of choosing a team to win a game, you will use your fantasy knowledge to choose an athlete to achieve a designated stat line. Achieve that stat line and you advance. Fail to and you will be eliminated. Be the first or I'm sorry, be the last to survive or make it through all the rounds to win or split the prize pool. Just choose one athlete each round to achieve a designated stat line to advance and win. It's that simple. Sign up today and play at www 
worldfantasypools.com. Again, that's www.worldfantasypools.com. We also got a message from our friends over at Stash Invest. Your fantasy winnings are going to need a game plan. Put them to work on Stash and you'll get an extra $5 to start investing. Over 3 million Americans invest, bank, and save with Stash and all on a one easy-to-use app. On Stash, you can buy pieces of stocks and funds just $5 at a time. And unlike some other micro-investing apps, you get to build your own portfolio. Your stash also includes access to a smarter, simpler bank account that actually works with your investment account and can help you spend and save smarter. Want to plan for a better financial future? Stash also offers retirement accounts and investing accounts for kids. Stash can even help teach you how to save and invest confidently with simple guides, articles, challenges, and even personalized guidance. Stash is a financial home for all your money needs, and they'll even give you $5 to invest if you join today. Stash, one app, unlimited opportunity. Investment advisory services offered by Stash Investments, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Debit account service is provided by Green Dot Bank member FDIC. All right, Mario, let's keep things rolling here. Let's get on to the next game. Uh, let's get into Indianapolis versus the Broncos. Uh, an interesting matchup here. I think a, a lot of the Sharps kind of like talked themselves into the Broncos last week, and I listened, and it went horribly. Um, so I'm mad at Denver. Uh, Denver is what I thought it was initially, um, and it cost me uh, last week. And then we got Indianapolis, who it continues to just be better than what Vegas gives it credit for. Yeah, I can't claim to have any grasp of what's going on with the Broncos, why they do any particular thing that they do or, you know, any any outcome that they have. I don't I don't know what informs it or what we can learn from it. But Emmanuel Sanders leaving the offense is a pretty big deal because Cortland Sutton already was in the midst of a huge season and I think that as much as uh, especially someone like Pierre uh, Desir might be like a decent matchup uh, a decent counter to a, a lanky kind of receiver like Sutton I don't see anything in the Colts secondary that would really make me concerned about a player as good as Sutton and especially with the kind of target share that he's likely to have with Sanders gone now it's like with that kind of target share with that kind of talent uh, the question of how bad the quarterback is doesn't really matter that much like it, it matters in the sense that uh he could go if he had a good quarterback to like clear wide receiver one territory whereas now he's stuck in kind of like good wide receiver two territory but it's not the kind of thing that makes it uh you know anything but a green light like Sutton's golden um even if it's kind of like ugly to watch in real life uh in any case guys like Philip Lindsay Royce Freeman can do some stuff especially Lindsay I think he's a really good player and so I can't really rule out the possibility of him leading the Denver offense to a good game here. But I don't think it's going to be the passing game that does it. And it's with Sutton, it's going to be like a disgusting offense where it's like Flacco throws for 150 yards and Sutton has 120 of them. <laughs> um, so it's good. Yeah, that'll be great for Sutton. It's just it's going to be like I think it's going to be a lot of like 14 yard catches on third and 17 and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of punting. But uh, in the others, on the other side, more so, we have a lot of tangible reasons for optimism with the Colts. Uh, five and a half points is maybe uh, pushing it. I don't know, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they cover that just because Denver's just a mess on, at every level. Uh, the team knows there's no hope. They're kind of acknowledging uh, the tank almost by trading Sanders. Uh, meanwhile, 
all Frank Reich does is outthink people, and uh, he has his players prepared from a you know discipline technique standpoint. So, uh, good team that's resourceful versus really bad team that has no idea what it's doing. Yeah, um, all, all we need here for Indianapolis to cover is just twenty to fourteen. Like, yeah, so that, I guess I ex- definitely happen. I guess I expect them to, uh, which is bad news for them. I'm wrong about stuff like that a lot of the time, but I don't know. They they again are a resourceful semi-competent team at worst they're just going against a team that is uh probably checking out soon i don't know yeah man i, I feel bad for von miller because no man no man of, of his talent needs to be on on the team that's like in the midst of tank tear down type of territory yeah him like and chris this. harris should yeah. be on other teams well not not von miller i guess from the sense of like the broncos interest because he's still so valuable worth holding on to but like chris harris it's like you should have just moved him by now like that that the return you get for him is going to drop sharply basically as time passes i think so too so ugly times in denver all right let's move on over to um, a team in chicago that is struggling to to say the least and they're going off against a chargers team also struggling uh we got the bears here Ooh. four point favorites in this one yeah boot delete both of this these game yeah man delete. this is <laughs> seriously though the chargers should not exist if if these uh if the, if the Spanos guy or whatever wants to just constantly have them as a nomad team, uh, just just relieve him of the burden. Just take that team from him, uh, give him a thank you note, whatever, however that works. But just take the team away and dissolve it and put the players into a whatever, I guess, free agency. Um, but in any case, I, I don't know. The, I don't know who will win this spectacular sprint to failure between these two teams. It's just like it's it's really jarring to watch the bears offense of the past couple of weeks and the defense isn't apparently any good either uh but the offense is so bad i know trubisky got over 200 yards and had two touchdowns last week but it is difficult to overstate how bad he has looked like that that might have been like one of the 20 worst games most painful games i've ever had to watch from a quarterback and uh like all of the still meager production occurred in the most meaningless uh garbage time situations just wor- worst 200 yard two touchdown box score you'll ever see like it it felt more like negative 50 and like five interceptions or something yeah i watched the raven seahawks game during that window so i really w- didn't have to get exposed to, to too much of it so i'm still breathing yeah that that game sucked uh hate to watch the bears i hope we don't get this one um but in any case the uh charger side of it too it's like they're they're getting really innovative with uh, new ways to be terrible. Melvin Gordon is just a drain on the offense right now. They would be better off like suspending all of his activities, just putting Eckler back in until they kind of just stabilize things because the offense as it is, when, when it's always in a negative game script with the offensive line struggling the way it has, it's like Gordon just has no use. Like at best, he's just kind of running out the clock on you and, uh, you know, b- blocking snaps for Eckler, who's just better on a per touch basis there's no ambiguity about that Eckler gets you more for each touch but they have to kind of subsidize these touches for Gordon which you know kind of in a way precipitates the situation the the circumstances where they're losing um and you know then they can't give Gordon the ball because they just need to throw the ball the whole time so that's less likely with the Bears offense like Trubisky's so bad the script might remain uh viable for the Chargers run game but even against a struggling Bears defense, I don't know why we would expect Gordon to get going. I, th- I think he's just going to be kind of touchdown dependent, boomer bust. 
uh, until further notice and emphasis on the bust as long as they're struggling as an offense. Yeah, man, it is brutal. I can't believe how, how far south uh, this season has gone for these Chargers. So, yeah, that's a game that ugh, I hope I don't really have to catch much of that one. Um, let's move on over to the Jags going up against the Jets. Uh, all the positive things that we said about the Jets after that Cowboys game, uh, I don't know, man. I just, I don't know. That was, that was pathetic on Monday. Like I turned it off about 20 minutes in. It was, it was over so, so quickly on Monday night against the Patriots. And I know the Patriots just kind of have this, like, you know, they're living rent free in the Jets head and we all know that. But I mean, even that was a bit extreme on Monday night. Yeah, I don't know if it means that much, to be honest, just because I think you can both have a, a lot of optimism for especially Sam Darnold and, you know, maybe the Jets passing game at large going forward that the broader context w- within that uh, kind of outlooks still can acknowledge that Darnold is still really young and therefore will have a lot of ups and downs and, you know, he doesn't have a great offense around him. So, particularly against this historically good Patriots defense, you could imagine things just kind of being non-starter. Like you can, I'd rather see a game like that where it's just like non-starter to the dominated to the point that it's just very clearly meaningless rather than kind of like a team that feels like they're working towards something, but can never close the deal. Like this was such a hopeless blowout that uh, it's, it's just, I think, one of those things that's a, a one out of 100 oddity. And uh, this Patriots team, especially on defense, is so good that you're, you're going to see more of those scenarios happen more reliably than usual with them. Um, but I just think it's just, you know, the, the Jets, their time was not this year, no matter what. And they're going against probably the toughest defense Darnold will ever see. So, yeah, I think... You know, it's unspeakably bad last week, but I also think the worst is out of the way pretty clearly. Okay, so let's bring it into focus for this week going up against the Jaguars. If the stupid toenail isn't a problem, and I don't know, I've got no toenail uh, intel for you all. It Maybe that actually does suck. Maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know. It doesn't matter what he has because he'll always have something. I think we can say that now. Like, Darnold will... His whole, his whole thing now is... He he ends up on the injury report all the time, but only with obscure. He's like sick boy from Van Wilder. Yeah, I was thinking of the uh, Stephen. He's gonna Col- have a goiter here soon. I was thinking of the Stephen Colbert thing, where he has the cheating death segment in his show, and he he tries to peddle these experimental, reckless uh, <laughs> prescription drugs, and then he names the the uh, side effects that they have. And like Sam Darnold is always questionable with one of those side effects. May cause gigantism. Yeah. It's like (laughs) Sam Darnold is doubtful this week with brain tooth or like (laughs) Sam Darnold is (laughs) Sam Darnold is probable to return to the field this week, parentheses, monkey lung (laughs) and stuff like that. Um, But I think I'm optimistic even so, even though he has this, this uh, curse put upon him, I think uh, he can bounce back maybe as soon as this week. I mean, the the Jaguars, goofy team. I don't know. There, I feel like there's a range of possibilities with them, but I don't see why Bouye and especially Herndon should be able to run with Robbie Anderson. So as long as Darnold has some time to throw, maybe he doesn't have time to throw, but as long as he does, he should be able to threaten deep to Anderson. Jamison Crowder has got a kind of tough matchup with DJ Hayden, but I think Crowder looks really good and he can get open. Uh, Demarius Thomas should be able to get open on Herndon if Anderson's struggling against Bouye, but 
Um, we'll see. I, I basically think at least one of those guys should be able to get open. I yelled at one of Demarius Thomas's drops last week. Yeah, it's it's a uh, like I don't. It, it, part of the background here is like Herndon just seems really not great like he was supposed to be a not corner. chris herndon of course just for the listener oh yeah sorry trey the the jacksonville corner it's like he was supposed to be a white uh sorry a cornerback six this year basically and he's playing every snap so it's like even uh even uh baboon achilles tendon demarius thomas <laughs> can probably get open against him okay all right that's that's good stuff there and then on the jag side i mean leonard fournette seems to be rolling right now yeah uh, i don't know what to make of this jets run defense i mean the the defensive line is pretty awesome but i mean no mosley it looks like with, with that groin um i think that fournette has the green light once again to be one of one of the best running back plays of the, of the entire week yeah that's just going to kind of be his i think indefinite projection there's there's going to be ups and downs for not much uh foreseeable reason but um this could be an up week it's pretty much just going to depend on whether he gets touchdowns or not and uh, those can be kind of unpredictable so if the jags win i think you like Fournette better and uh, i generally expect them to win this so uh, i'm optimistic for him i think also dj chark bounces back this week i know dd westbrook was pretty busy last week but he'll be running against brian pool who's quite a bit better so far this year than the outside corners with the jets so chark should or, or could i should say have a bit of a funnel in his direction okay i I imagine that there will be more insight onto that um, in your corner report article over the weekend looking forward to reading that Uh, let's jump into the seahawks versus the falcons Uh, there's no line on this game as of yet because matt ryan uh, is a question mark Um, he is not a participant as of thursday's practice so not looking great for his availability here so it might be Schaub versus a a pretty ticked off uh, seattle team uh, here in atlanta yeah, the uncovers they're showing a line a uh, fifty three and a half over under down from fifty four, and then uh, Atlanta plus five and a half after opening at plus three and a half. I guess, like if Shab's in, that's not great or anything, but I don't know if it'll actually change much because if you had told me all the target share that was going toward austin hooper and mohammed sanu i would have guessed almost that matt schaub was the quarterback i was like oh so so matt ryan got hurt and there's a there's a backup now because why the hell aren't they throwing it more to julio um so that offense has not been itself basically it hasn't been that great it's it, the the volume of fantasy production it has is not a reflection of how effective they've been so i don't think that schaub is a, that much of a concern in that case uh so if, if you were going to give seattle five and a half points even with matt ryan then i think or if if you weren't going to give five and a half uh points for the matt ryan scenario i don't see why you would sooner uh entertain it here but i mean things look bad for the falcons they're kind of doing they're trying to do the half tank while pretending nothing's wrong and everyone knows the coach is going to get fired it's pretty dope that they got a second rounder for sanu though that is insane actually like it just shows how uh there's no hope for the rest of us like the patriots at this point they're just like uh yeah second round pick for like whatever 500 400 yards and a touchdown or two that's all we needed we, we didn't even need that we're just kind of like oh, we got all these picks and we don't need anything at all we always win by too many points it's like they're, uh, they're like the guy at the poker table that has like literally all the chips and just like looks at the plebes around him and just like makes them throw in what's left of theirs and just like laughs how, how far are you in uh deadwood 
Oh, not very. I'm sorry. Did Did you see uh, Bill Hickok playing poker against the, the coward uh, Jack McCall? I did not. Oh, okay. I'm well, sorry. he he, like, he beats him in poker, and then he's like, gives him one chip and like, get something to eat. <laughs> like that's the Muhammad Sanu trade. I think my, my favorite card scene is from the first Austin Powers. Where, I don't remember that one. Where he stays on like an eleven or uh, on a twelve in in blackjack. Oh, okay. I too like to live dangerously. Yeah, I gotta go, I gotta go watch that uh, that that movie is the, the first two at least were good. Yes, and I've, I've forgotten all the references except for the steamroller uh, <laughs> scene. But uh, anyway, um, where, where was I? Uh, well, we were talking about that. What does this Falcons offense look like now that you know fifteen percent of the targets represented by Mohamed Sanu are gone now? Yes, uh, outside of last week, Sanu was getting a lot of targets and. Austin Hooper's been playing quite a bit of slot receiver, so this trade I think stabilizes him. Maybe, it maybe makes Hooper kind of uh, the tight end one. Like he's in contention with Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, all those guys to finish first at tight end. Waller is ridiculously good. I know. I know. We'll, we'll yeah, get to Raiders awesome. later, but like, good lord, man, that guy is a boss. Yeah, and uh, Hooper's doing a similar thing. He's like doing Michael Thomas catch rate kind of numbers, and he's getting a lot of targets. With that Sanu trade, I see almost no scenario in which Hooper doesn't get maybe the most targets of tight ends the rest of the way because it's like he was already up there. And that range of high target volume the past six weeks or whatever might have been his highest range outcome. It might have been his best case scenario. But now the Sanu trade means that he won't be subject to the regression that he otherwise would have. It means like he just kind of had this implausibly a favorable outcome and now he has conditions adjusted such that it's more like the medium range outcome from now on so uh, including this game i just you got to give a green light to hooper the rest of the way uh, i don't know what i expect otherwise though because it's like uh, i should say as long as they put julio against uh trey flowers rather than shaquille griffin he should be able to get open quite a bit question is whether Shaw you know just gets in the ball uh, whoever is on shaquille griffin however has a really tough matchup and if i was if I was the Falcons, I would try to make that Calvin Ridley just because, you know, Julio's still better. I'd rather get Julio on the mismatch and, and you know, just say, sorry, Calvin, maybe next week. Sorry, Calvin, maybe next week. And then um, as far as the Seattle offense is concerned, Carson kind of uh, didn't really get it going last week. Figure going up against the Falcons should help him find some traction there and then green lights for pretty much everybody else in this offense. Yeah, the question is just what kind of volume there will be, especially for the pass catchers, because you would like all of DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, especially Lockett, uh, to get open in this setting. Whoever's running routes should be getting open. It's just a question of like who does Wilson throw to and how many times does he throw it. So if you think Matt Schaub does a good job in this game, I guess that's reason to buy into the optimism scenario for Wilson. But if you think Schaub uh, tanks in this setting, if you think the Seahawks are going to cover five and a half, Maybe exercise a little, uh, not not caution with Wilson because he's so good. You're starting him either way, but maybe he's not as great of a DFS play as, as you might have. Like yeah, it's something to, I guess, to keep in mind as far as maybe your uh, exposure in DFS. Because okay. it's like, he's a good pick, of course, but the question is just like, how much specifically do you want to invest versus uh, other players? Okay, keep that in mind when targeting this game because it, it is easy to just like reflexively, 
oh god, I'm I'm loading up against the Falcons, and then I'm going to figure it out from there. But but Seattle does runs a, a relatively small uh, play count compared to some other teams there, and it could be smaller this week if they if they run into run in the run out the clock mode by like the third quarter. Um, let's move on over to the 49ers facing off against the Panthers. Panthers coming off the bye. Niners coming off of a you know game in which they just survived in uh, disgusting <laughs> conditions. It drained Worst. the swamp, folks. Um, but yeah, that was that was awful looking in, in Washington last week. But you know they, they got the job done. They got out of there with the W. Um, they are at home this week, five and a half point favorites up against the the well rested Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I think that five and a half six points is a lot just because we still have plenty of reason to think Garoppolo is no good or at least busted, struggling to get healthy, whatever the explanation is. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders getting there is pretty interesting. Yes, I, I want to hear your opinion on that acquisition and what he can do for this offense. I think he's going to lead them in targets the rest of the way. I think like even this week, he probably will lead the receivers in targets. Maybe not snaps, but I can see him getting something like eight targets on 40 snaps in this game, whereas... You know, normally you'd kind of expect someone to a starting receiver to push for a, t- a target every ten snaps or something. I think Shanahan has a, a few ideas of how he could definitely use Sanders, and I think he's just going to put him on the field for those specific purposes initially. Uh, try to get him going quick, and because uh, Shanahan has shown so much uh, borderline like not not hostility, exactly. Like, he seems a little alienated from Dante Pettis and uh even goodwin like all of them it seems like he kind of just doesn't commit to any of them for more than like a drive or two at a time and doesn't have a whole lot nice to say in the press about them and uh, with debo samuel being hurt it's like there's this void of shanahan's like got his ambitions in mind and none of the receivers are there picking it up it's like Sanders is going to plug into that role, I think, and I don't think he needs any adjustment time. The question, like his level of productivity, I think, is just subject to whatever quality of Garoppolo's targets, because uh, they've been there's been a lot of just bad throws from him this year. Okay, that that is you know that that is an important thing that that it, we're going to be talking about with this 49ers team because like it or not that this is going to be a very competitive team the rest of the season the defense looks awesome uh, one of the best defenses outside of, of new england obviously in the run game uh, really deep and really well designed uh, so we do it's funny to think that garoppolo or the quarterback play the passing game is sort of the missing link here from from really having us all be completely all in on the niners as like maybe the best team in the nfc yeah honestly I, I wasn't one of these people before this year, but I can't tell you that uh, Nick Mullins would have had any worse production than Jimmy Garoppolo to this point. And I don't think Mullins is there that good. I don't think he's basically even a starter in the NFL. Uh, but Garoppolo is really struggling. Maybe he picks up a little rhythm. Maybe that maybe the knee feels better and he kind of hits his stride. Um, to, to, to your point on on Garoppolo. Uh, average depth of target seven so that, that does fit really well with, with what uh, Sanders uh, should be bringing to the table there um, but that is I mean that we're talking about dink and dunk levels that I mean Derek Carr even thinks that that's bad yeah and uh, so five and a half six points is a lot just because I don't think there's anything to take for granted with the 49ers offense but because uh, basically they, to cover that I feel like they need the t- clear turnover advantage and I just think that as much as I like Garoppolo's chances of surviving the Panthers defense better than I like the chances of Kyle Allen surviving the 49ers. 
there's still a chance that Garoppolo does not survive that game. And like Allen also has a bad game, but Garoppolo matches him or is slightly worse by some trivial extent. And uh, if that happens, then I don't see how the 49ers are going to cover because I don't see people like getting open. I don't see great looking throws from Garoppolo or, or wide running lanes for Coleman and Brita. Okay. Could happen, but I, I think it's like Panthers probably cover, but it's just an ugly defensive game. When it, when it comes to the Panthers offense, Obviously, McCaffrey still has the green light, even though this this could be end up being one of his toughest, if not the toughest, defense he faces all year. I am a bit skittish about starting one of the receivers or either the, those receivers, either Moore or Samuel this week, though. Yeah, I, I think, think Allen could potentially really fold up here. I agree. I think that Curtis Samuel can get open against these corners, but I don't know if he's going to have enough time to run his routes before Allen's getting hit slash checking down to DJ Moore, who I think will get the most targets and I think has the highest floor between those uh, pass catchers. But I can also imagine more getting like 12 targets, you know, six or seven catches for 50 yards, something like that. So uh, ideally in PPR is where you'd consider him, but I, I'm pretty worried for Samuel. Like I think he'd need at once like the coverage broken and he would need Kyle Allen to see to that, get it there, to yeah. see it coming ahead of time and have time to throw it. And I just too many conditions to take for granted i think so too so i'm off of samuel this week unless i really do need to play him somewhere um let's move on over to the texans going up against the raiders texans six and a half point favorites in this one looks like will fuller is doubtful uh with the hamstring issues yeah okay so um texans will be without him in in all likelihood it seems like going up against the raiders who uh they kept it close until the car play at the at the pylon last week and then (laughs) good lord did it fall apart um so this is another road game for the raiders texans uh need to bounce back coming off that divisional loss uh in indy last week yeah, that Derek Carr play was just super embarrassing because oh, you, you could you could see like when he was doing it, time slowed down for him, and he pictured himself like you know in a movie kind of angle, like flying and like the the slow motion, the the triumphant music kind of like trickling in, but then he kind of is like Homer over the canyon, and the air get, like his his momentum gives out, and he just drops like way short of the goal line. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he also manages to fumble out of the out of the end zone. Incredible references today, sir. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, he didn't just fall down the hill. He managed to like throw his wallet over the canyon <laughs> and get it stolen. Um, <laughs> but I think that uh, you know he he's his put up okay. Down. He's put up okay numbers, and I think the Texans' defense. It, it's like Roby's pretty good when he's healthy, but I don't think as long as Tyrell Williams is back, and it seems like he should be. I don't think that the coverage is especially imposing, and Darren Waller of course just awesome uh, even though he got one of those touchdowns in garbage time last week it was like he was he was due for positive regression for a touchdown I mean, so that's car made a better throw on that one down the seam than that than the play that we were just talking about doesn't even happen because he hits waller over the correct shoulder waller walks into the end zone instead oh, of getting caught yeah so uh Carr's kind of a doofus but i still like his chances of cheap production here uh trent brown should be back that's actually a big deal at right tackle uh, Gabe Jackson, his second game back might improve. Josh Jacobs might miss the game though with that shoulder issue, and if he does, uh, I would guess a pretty even snap split between DeAndre Washington as the lead runner and then Rashard as the you know the second runner. Maybe the hurry up back. I don't know. So keep an eye on DeAndre Washington, I guess, especially in season long, where he might be a useful flex play. Uh, but on the other side, I'm definitely here for Kenny Stills' week because I, I think he's totally good. 
Um, I'm a big Will Fuller fan, but I'm not even I can't convince myself that I actually think Fuller is better than Stills. I think they're both like top 40 receivers. Dang. Okay. All right. So this week, uh, Stills figures to be I mean, how much how much can we expect from him from him? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, he's going to have to play pretty much every snap. He was playing well ahead of uh, Kiki Kuti as it was. So uh, with Fuller out, I think you see uh, Stills going at 60 or so snaps and then Kuti up from uh, 20 or 25 or whatever he usually is up to 35. So does Kuti become useful as well in deeper leagues? I mean, it's his best projection in a while. I don't, he's one of those guys that it's hard to take anything for granted from. And you know, he's capable of a good game, but you don't specifically ever have any reason to expect it ahead of time. So he's just kind of stuck in that category. But yeah, if you're, if you're hurting at receiver and especially in a PPR league, this would be the week to use him. It's like, he's, he's not a great play most of the time, but this week he, you know, he's, he could be something like a top uh, 30 sort of projection something like that i don't know okay um but yeah with stills i'm expecting basically like 60 snaps probably something like six to eight targets and throughout his career when he's at least in a functional passing game he's reliably showed an ability to push for nine or ten yards a target and his uh, speed downfield ability and just playing in a deshaun watson offense uh you know that that ups the possibility of touchdowns big plays upper range scenarios generally so i'm I, I can't ask for a better situation for him okay love to hear it all right let's move on over to the patriots facing off against the browns patriots 13 point favorites at home against cleveland who is coming off the bye here uh brutal way to come off the bye um but yeah yeah I'd, back, I'd, jerks. <laughs> yeah man it's i think it's going to be really uh, an ugly i think new england you know they they kind of just cast the jets aside this past week i think they 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 get up for this one and and maybe really try to make a statement in this one i think this one gets ugly quick i think i would expect it to be maybe lower scoring than expected for the first half or something like that just because i can expect i can imagine the browns trying to protect mayfield by just making the offense uh, entirely chubb hilliard to start the game maybe like maybe a little bit of beckham i don't know but it's hard to see why anyone would be getting open any of those receivers there's no hope there but uh with chubb they at least have like some brief flicker of hope you know just because like he's a good player um i expect it to kind of uh not work and the browns defense to get tired after initially like coming out you know amped up and uh, i don't know who's going to do it for the patriots I don't, I'm not really as optimistic about Sanu as a lot of people. I don't even. I'm not even sure that it's a an improvement for I, his projection. I basically kept him in my estimation of Sanu. I, I have him just flat. Like he'll he'll be about as good, if not a little bit worse, than what he was doing in in Atlanta. Is yeah, my guess. He, he was on like a 100 target pace in Atlanta. Do people think he's going to be at a 140 pace on, yeah. on the Patriots with Edelman there? I don't think that's he, he might he might kind of do like tight end kind of things, and that's interesting, but he's not tight end eligible you know he's playing receiver in fantasy so how soon do we see him throw a pass there uh i don't know well i think we'll see like wildcat uh stuff eventually like if brady gets hurt i think they're gonna run the 2010 rutgers offense with sanu uh just just doing like the jordan reed wildcat quarterback thing that'd be awesome the the trey burton kind of thing yeah and and the context that we would need to get there I wouldn't be mad. No, I'm kidding. Um, so looking elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not saying anything, just saying. Um, Josh Gordon. 
what's the deal uh i have no idea it's it's a weird situation the whole thing is weird and it's it's odd that they seemingly pursued like muhammad sanu in response to the gordon situation when they will do basically nothing that the other does like sanu's not going to do what gordon did route running wise alignment wise so we might see the offense change its look a little bit and i don't i have no idea which way uh It'll be interesting to see how soon and kill Harry can maybe get into the picture because if there's room, I mean, he's their most athletic outside receiver with Gordon, not there. And, you know, maybe, maybe he's just not ready. Maybe he's in the doghouse even when he gets back, but the opportunity is there now. Um, I'd like to say that Gordon being cut will mean that the Patriots will score fewer points, but that doesn't seem possible. That's just not really how hell works. It's like bad things happen in hell and so it, it, you just would have to assume they're going to keep scoring as many points as they want uh it's just going to have to look slightly different i suppose yep that's kind of my read on the whole thing as well let's get into the sunday night game uh feels like we we are going to get robbed of of a rogers mahomes matchup one of our, our good buddies in the office is making the trip down to kansas city he has he's had this lined up for a while like rogers mahomes uh, but with mahomes injury it looks like a long shot that he'll be able to go sunday night which kind of takes some of the luster out here has that been updated in the past couple hours because he's like in practice today again and people are posting clips of him looking somehow uh like he's on two legs that work like, why do you i, mean, I, I don't he, get it if either. he's anything less than 100 percent, i am not putting him out there yeah i don't like it either i'd rather they just at least give him a week come on just one game just give him one week off um but yeah I, <laughs> al michaels is like is yelling at or like putting pressure on andy reed like blackmailing him because, because otherwise the game won't be as fun to call yeah i'd like that would be reassuring it's like I'd, I'd be relieved to hear that there's some black i like i like the here. idea of gangster al michaels you know it's like oh it'd be a real shame if uh, you know, He's, he if, does like the wayne brady Chappelle show thing <laughs> exactly yeah that would uh i don't know it w- i wouldn't expect it but it also wouldn't be like my most shocking outcomes like i've got it i've, I've got a uh, enough exposure to that particular got a nice knee there yeah be a real shame but uh, I think that Mahomes should sit out. I'm, I just, but that's just kind of like me hoping. Uh, I, I don't. I have no idea where that's going. So let's uh, push forward as if it's going to be Matt Moore versus the, this Packers team. Well, what it might ha- be like Chad happens. Henney? Might it not? I don't like. Oh, that's no. the other thing going on with that whole thing. Uh, oh, no. Anyway, uh, it's bad for the passing game. I don't think you can be that optimistic for you know. I think even Tyreek Hill in this game if it's not Mahomes out there it's going to look like Tyreek Hill from his rookie year where the only passes they can get him are like six yards downfield so he only averages 10 yards a catch um but yeah it's uh concerning for him Kelsey it's especially hard to see how the more peripheral receivers like Hardman or Pringle or Robinson are going to do anything uh when if Mahomes isn't out there so uh yeah I think it goes to basically like a McCoy kind of offense with a lot of screens to Tyreek and stuff like that a lot of jet sweeps a lot of jet sweeps probably with Tyreek and Hardman things like that okay yeah so that this does you know suck out some of the the intrigue here for for that Kansas City passing game uh as as for the Packers side Rodgers looked incredible last week as as we all know uh despite a cast of yeah, pretty ragtag bunch of of pass catchers out there, and he was making them all uh, look very good. What do we expect this week going up against the Chiefs? Yeah, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling on his long touchdown seemed like he might have been limited last week, and so I know Allison was out there. I know Valdez Scantling was out there, but it still was probably like a shorthanded day for Rodgers and put up huge numbers anyway. 
maybe that marked some kind of turning of a corner maybe not i mean sometimes teams just fall apart for no good reason especially at lambeau especially after your quarterback uh, does the fumble out of the end zone and and you you realize all of a sudden how how pissed off you are to be in green bay at that particular moment and you maybe don't focus as well the rest of the game that kind of stuff happens um and that would all be to rogers's benefit of course uh but you know going going to kansas city like even even if mahomes isn't out there it's like that's going to be a difficult spot uh the packers offense had basically three outrageous quarters against the raiders and have otherwise mostly struggled this year so uh they still have a lot to prove i think and i'm you know i would love to see rogers do well i'm more of a rogers uh truther than probably most people at this point that's true but yeah i think like you're saying uh the recency bias here where rogers and, and this packers offense looked great looked as as good as we possibly could have expected especially given the absence of Devonte adams but you got to contextualize it within the broader uh, scope of the season here and like you said the Packers offense for the most part hasn't looked nearly as electric as it did in that one and and again like you said with the Raiders just kind of landsliding their way out of there towards the end of that game that kind of set up perfectly for the Packers to go off probably won't be the case here in Kansas City but obviously you'd expect Rodgers to be starter uh, level quarterback but any of the other uh, pass catchers here that you'd confidently start uh, without uh, Devontae Adams potentially? Just Valdez Scantling and not so much with confidence as much as just hopefulness, just because he's he's probably gonna have his ups and downs. He's still probably a bit raw as a second year player out of South Florida, but if he can you know, he can score a seventy yard touchdown when he's only at like seventy percent healthy, then that's that's tools to work with at least. Absolutely. And uh rounding things off here. We have a Monday night game that is... No, we don't. I, I am just amazed that this is a, like the NFL didn't do everything in its power to somehow move this to Sunday or something. Yeah, just replace it with like a dunk tank kind of thing. Uh, maybe, maybe like <clears throat> maybe a Three Stooges Kyle, uh, kind of a variety show or something like that. Mason I don't know Rudolph why anyone... running around with the helmet with no face mask. Yeah, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why anyone would watch this. Uh, I will try not to, but it's a good bounce back setting for all of Juju Smith Schuster, James Conner, especially with Jalen Samuels out. Uh, maybe Vance McDonald, if he's healthy, can kind of get right in this spot. But that Miami defense is still trash. Uh, the, the Pittsburgh defense should create turnovers. So the the Steelers should be in, in scoring range quite a bit with good matchups across the board on offense so uh, i don't think rudolph needs to be particularly good to get them to you know three touches uh, sorry three touchdowns um from scrimmage not not on rudolph's behalf like a i'm thinking more like two passing for him yeah well i mean we can we see what this steel this steelers team is still quality enough to beat the really bad teams even though they are as shorthanded like, like, as uh, they the are. chargers or yeah. or the <laughs> Bengals on a monday night game yeah. earlier this season one of the other terrible monday night games but um yeah the, the dolphins are just so pathetically sorry that the, i don't foresee the steelers having much in the way of trouble with this one so they gotta they gotta get minka fitzpatrick on offense or something like that <laughs> Oh yeah! Get the the revenge game touchdown. Like have Minka Fitzpatrick score more points than the Dolphins' offense. Or what? Like if, what if Minka is wearing like Dolphins colored um, undershirt, and after he scores, he like lifts up his shirt and sh- shows that he's like a supporter of the Dolphins after all, and he's a sleeper cell. Uh, well, I'm really confused now because did he did he intercept a pass and then run into his own end zone? 
Devia a touchdown for the Steelers. For, that, for, that's like a really conflicting message. Yeah. Like, I don't believe you. You just scored against us. Oh, but it's performative. I'm, I don't. I think the problem is it's like no one likes the Dolphins. Uh, like everybody's there, there's no there's no person except weirdos who are sympathetic to the Dolphins as an organization. Like anybody who looks at Stephen Ross and is like, man, I'm rooting for that guy. Like that's just like a failed, formerly aspiring serial killer who's <laughs> retired to more modest, you know, squirrel. Yeah, just just they've resigned to a weasel's existence, yeah. uh, worshiping psychos like Stephen Ross. But uh, yeah, there's there's no goodwill from that Dolphins organization to its former players, and I, I, I uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I am kind of bitter at them for what they've left the situation they've left Josh Rosen in. So I I feel like they really deserve all of it yeah it's as a been, team not the players yeah well, some of them probably it's been so horribly mismanaged and now we get to watch it uh in a standalone primetime game so the Steelers the Steelers defense is really disruptive too really fast a lot of blitzing a lot of sacks this could get disgusting oh boy will it ever all right well that's uh that's gonna wrap things up for today's show for Mario Puig I'm John McKechnie thanks again for listening to the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Yahoo and Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports